0: This podcast is dedicated to the Dakota. We recognize and hold dear the care that the Dakota put into the land on which our community building is built. Thank you. It's December 2021, and the solstice approaches day by day, bringing us further and further from the year 1979. But this is Episode 6, the first episode where we get to dive back into the late 70s and early 80s of the co-op. Let's hear what we can expect from our guests who happen to be married to one another.
1: I don't have any expectations. No. Okay. No,
2: please feel free to ask us anything you want.
0: Okay, here we go. When I was at the co op, we said our name, preferred pronouns, and answered a question like, if you were any kitchen utensil, which one would you be? Oh, I know that one. All right. <laughs>
1: Well, I can't think of one because I don't really, she, she, I don't
2: have much to do with really the kitchen. am really not sure where the kitchen is at this point. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the cook. But,
1: so you can go first while I think of what <laughs> kitchen utensils there are.
2: <laughs> All right. Hi, I'm Ted Bowen. I lived in the co-op from about 82 to 85, kind of on and off. My pronouns are he, him, his. And my favorite kitchen utensil is an immersion blender
0: because
2: mm. it makes such great soup.
0: Wow. So what is an immersion blender? How does that work?
2: Well, if you've ever made soup, you know, you got to sometimes for a cream soup, you got to throw it in a blender. Well, an immersion blender is almost like a wand that you stick in the soup. So you don't have to pour it into this blender and overflow it and burn yourself. It's my greatest tool. I love it.
1: <laughs> I'm Carolyn Douglas and I lived at the co-op uh, twice. The first time I went there was in 1979, lived there for a year and then met Ted there for a friend and we ended up moving back in together. So at probably 82 to 85 was yeah. the second stint there. I'm going to go with toaster. Is that a utensil or a
2: piece sure. of good? Sure. <laughs> that counts. Um, because
1: yeah. I know how to make toast <laughs> and because I like toast. <laughs> I'm going with
0: toast. Thank you. Uh, my name is Maxime I just say any pronouns because I'm interested in language and I'm interested in why we gender languages just like, you know, German has its die, der, das, and Italian has its mm-hmm. feminine and masculine. And I wonder why do we do that all the time? But uh, so, yeah, so I'm kind of open to whatever pronouns. It's all good.
1: Yeah. So we could revisit the pronoun for just a bit. <laughs> They're still he, him, his. <laughs> I forgot that part. Yeah. I like what you said about just basically anything i'm a little uncomfortable with the they only because then i'm looking for a second person <laughs> but i'm pretty comfortable with anything and and um, one of the things that i think is fantastic about co-ops now our son lived in a co-op is the gender fluidity which we did not have at that time if i could have been a he one day and a she the next that would have been fantastic mm-hmm. but that wasn't a, a thing when we were young
0: Thank you so much for that. And since we're talking about the earliest era that we have access to in your memory banks, what was it in the late 70s in terms of counterculture?
1: I mean, we were so I started in 79 and we were at really the tail end of of that current peak of the women's movement. So the women's movement obviously has come and gone in, in many different forms throughout history And there was a very strong women's movement that I was involved in at that point. Uh, Anti-apartheid in South Africa was a big thing going on then.
0: Grenada was happening.
1: Grenada was happening. Can you refresh my
0: memory? What's Grenada?
1: The United States invaded Grenada. Uh, It it was a short-lived thing.
0: And it
2: surprised a lot of people, especially in Grenada. Yeah. Because this was basically, um, there was a medical school there that people uh, would attend from the United States if they couldn't get into a medical school here. And I guess there was some political thing going on and Ronald Reagan basically invaded, sent the US troops there to help these Americans. And they were all sitting on the beach going, what's going on? It was was
1: unfortunate. Yeah. Definitely there was other movements about, but for me, the women's movement was still really big, really strong and an important part of the culture, I think at the co-op. We didn't talk about consent back then, but we definitely required it. <laughs> um, it. We were definitely on the edge of that at that point. And you probably heard of the the Take Back the Night marches. Maybe you haven't, but that's something that happened in the '70s, where women basically marched as a group in the night because it wasn't safe at that point for a woman to be out at night by herself.
0: Oh, okay. Wow. <laughs>
1: oh, there was a lot going on yeah. within really understanding women's place within society because so much had changed in the 60s with sort of the sexual freedoms and all of that but not a lot had changed with the objectification of women and so at women's rights and their safety all of that was very important
0: anything having to do with how the students co-op interacted with the the food co-ops of that time various members of the co-op would frequent
2: the food co-ops. I think Katie was a big food co-oper. We didn't have any kind of formal relationship with them at all. I I did see the video of the co-op wars. It was pretty interesting. I really at the time had no idea any of that was going on. But yeah,
1: I don't think that was a part of, certainly not in my experience. I think there was a very heavy involvement, especially with Seward co-op. A number of us volunteered there and worked there during our time at the co-op. So it was a place where we like to hang out, but I don't recall a political aspect of it.
2: Well, the people center was part of that.
1: Oh, and yeah.
0: Carolinda worked at the people center.
1: Are you familiar with the people center?
0: I did go there for medical checkups when I lived at the yeah. co-op. Yeah. yeah.
1: yeah. yeah. So my undergraduate degree is in aging and gerontology. And um, so I worked there with seniors and I did an internship there and you know, one of the things that probably comes out in these interviews is that you know you just develop these lifelong friendships and um mm-hmm. so many wonderful people from the co-op, but one of the people that I'm also incredibly close to is somebody that supervised me at the People Center and I still keep track of her and we keep track of each other today. Mm-hmm. A co-op didn't have this issue, but we did a lot at the People Center related to landlord issue, tenant issues, mm-hmm. um, the fact that we didn't have what we thought were sufficient rights of people who were renting. It's interesting because We have three kids recently been in college, and I would say a lot of landlord-tenant issues are worse now than they (laughs) were when we were fighting them back in the 70s and 80s.
0: Wow, that's sad to realize. Um, I I know that right now there's a huge amount of children that are in their 30s and 40s living with their parents, and I'm included in that generation Mm -hmm. that's struggling to uh, figure out how to get out of that situation. So what was the University of Minnesota like when you first came on the scene? I guess the the Vietnam protests had died down by then. It was sort of in the middle of the 1980 recession.
1: Yeah, we had the recession. That's right.
0: One of the chief
2: reasons I went to the University of Minnesota was when I got out of high school, I went into a couple of manufacturing jobs. And when the recession hit, I couldn't get a job at McDonald's. So I said, well, sounds like a good time to go to college. (laughs) That's what brought me there. So I guess the recession affected a lot of people. But I think at the same time, there was a lot of financial assistance for students and uh, people trying to uh, retrain themselves that you just don't see today. There's not a lot of retraining after recession or a massive uh, kind of economic disruption that we saw back then.
1: Um, we both have worked in higher education. So, one thing I could say is I think higher education has changed a lot since back then. Mm-hmm. And I remember my freshman year at the University of Minnesota, I was a, a number out of 58,000 students. You weren't a name, you were a number. And you had to tell people that, you had to show people that. Mm-hmm. We had one son who went to the University of Minnesota, graduated not too long ago. Uh, so, I would include the U of M in this, has changed a lot to try and really personalize the situation and the mm-hmm. experiences for students. It was a you'll sink or swim kind of thing when we were there. I mean, Mm. there was not the kind of student support that I think is in higher ed now. Or or
0: as I call it, hand-holding. Well. (laughs) (laughs) Can you give an example?
1: I mean, there was mental health counseling. So there was sort of that safety net, if you will. Mm. But there wasn't all the things in between. There wasn't the... So I'm a professor. I just recently retired, but I was a professor. Huskies. And, you know, there wasn't... Yeah. (laughs) There wasn't that... um, you know, checking in with students, you know, the mm-hmm. the early alerts, finding out if they're missing class. I mean, if you didn't come to class, they didn't care. Or if you didn't understand, they didn't care.
2: Go to office hours. I made a
1: lot yeah. of my career in the area of assessment of student learning. And I think partially because I think it is so important that we actually don't just teach, but we actually make sure people are learning. <laughs> so, yeah. That's um, awesome. That, I think we do a lot more with that, a lot more tutoring, a lot more peer mentoring, just things that were just not a part of our education at all in the late 70s, early 80s.
0: Do you think some of that came with the sharp spike in tuition costs?
1: Well, I mean, it's chicken and egg, I guess. Yeah. You mean because it caused that or because they had higher tuition and they felt like they needed to offer that? I think it came with a competition for students, basically.
2: Um, there's and le- There's just less students. And
1: now. hopefully just a realization yeah. that people need support, that learning shouldn't be this sink or swim it's a, kind of stage thing. They, on a
2: stage kind of. Well, that too. Yeah.
1: My philosophy on teaching and learning is basically that the teacher, professor, whatever is there, to have a rapport and interaction with a student and that learning happens together for both within that relationship. That's a real shift that happened probably in the 90s. I mean, yeah, there was quote-unquote office hours, but anybody who's been a professor knows that, you know, office hours are packed right before an exam. And sometimes right after if people are Mm -hmm. unhappy with how they did on
0: the (laughs) exam. So let's go back to your arrival at the students' co-op.
1: So I was quite young. I I graduated early. I went to the University of Minnesota and I was in a dorm. I'll name it. I was in Pioneer. (laughs) I was miserable there. (laughs) And a friend of mine practically took me by the hand, my friend Jolie, who's now passed away, and said, You don't belong here. You're not happy here. I found somewhere for you to be. And she literally just took me to the co-op. And as soon as I was there, I knew that was the right place for me to be. And I think I had a contract with Pioneer for a year, but then I moved in like the next the
0: next fall. Did and, she live um, there? Nope. How do you it, think she heard about it? Or, or do you? is there a story about it? I don't
1: that? know how she heard about it. Ted and I were talking about this earlier. This has been a pattern with me over my life. Sometimes when I'm in the worst place, somebody I'll trust very much will come to me and say, this is what you need to do next. And I'll just be okay.
2: Well, who was the first person you met when you went there?
1: <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, someone I'm probably not supposed to talk about. <laughs> one of the evil duo. <laughs> oh yeah.
0: One of the f- yeah. first people you met was one of was the people God. who tried to steal the house and were and yeah. reportedly walking around gloating that they stole the house.
1: But he didn't do that till later. <laughs> <laughs> At the time, we all, you first. we all still thought he was pretty wonderful. His name was John. And he and he was very much an, like an older brother figure to not just me, to a lot of people in the house. He was a very important person. I don't know how it is now, but at the time, the men outnumbered the women about two to one. And so a lot of the relationships were, for me anyway, were with men. And my roommate, who's now my lifelong friend, Susan uh, is definitely, you know, someone that was really important to me. But I think at least that first year or so, there's usually about 20 men and 10 women.
2: Yeah, roughly, yeah.
0: Wow, that's very interesting.
2: You know, Don, Yeah. he was from my hometown of Anoka. My roommates and I used to go down to the co-op when they would have parties. Halloween was the best party and i met carolinda one i think like as a new New year's party or something
1: yeah
2: yeah, maybe it was a halloween party but uh, i met her and then sometimes susan and you and a couple of other people would come out where we lived in anoka and party there and we got to know each other and uh, by the next summer carolinda was headed off to israel to do a archaeological dig when she came back I guess she moved to New Mexico with Susan. Susan and Donald were, I think, getting married. Well, they were together in some way. They were together in some way. Anyway, they, they introduced us. Basically, Donald was my witness at the wedding, and Susan was Carolinda's witness. So anyway, it, it's very complicated.
1: <laughs> he met me.
2: Yeah. <laughs> we a- lived
1: together for a while, and then we decided to go back to the co-op. As you yeah. mentioned earlier, the recession came, and he got laid off, and— I wanted to go back to school anyway. I had been out of school for a little while. So we moved back.
2: Back into the co-op in the fall of 82. 82.
0: Okay, cool. So let's see. So that means you kind of just found out about it through a hometown buddy who introduced you to it and you would go to the parties.
1: Well, when he met me, I was living there. We actually lived in Anoka for a while together. And then
0: and and we knew the co-op. Yeah, we went to the
1: co-op. I missed it. It was home. I missed it.
0: Yeah. So it really did feel like a home to you. It felt like a home to me too. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, yeah.
1: I needed a home. My, um, I, my parents were going through a, a rather unpleasant divorce. And I was just 17 when I started, which was ridiculous. I, I was way too young to go to college. So I needed a home. And it, it really provided that.
0: And Ted, were you a student when you moved in? I was a student starting that fall
2: of 82. So I hadn't been a student previous to that. So it was, it was kind of, Carolina said, oh, anybody can go to school. And I said, really? Even me? So she showed me how financial aid worked and basically guided me right through it. And that was how I got there. That's incredible. I started out as, yeah. I started out as a studio arts major. <laughs> but that, that quickly.
1: Uh, you know, it does seem sort of incredible that people just sort of made choices here and there. Mm. But I think something for listeners to remember is there was no internet. I mean, yeah. basically, yeah. you did what people said, because it seemed like a good idea. And they recommended it. There was no way to check out reviews or you know find yeah. out a history or a website. I mean,
2: you, you had to go you to, had fi- to have
1: a leap of faith,
2: you had to go to financial aid and stand in line for a long time.
0: Which is why it's so tragic that when you actually get to the U, they were still not really treating you like an intern they were just treating you like an anonymous person uh, and now now that there's more mentorship programs in universities and colleges it seems ironic that there's also far more information about how to approach a college or university it's very interesting yeah, yeah. treasurer a house manager a yeah. president a vice president was all that intact
1: yeah, he was the financial manager for a while. I was the president of the board for a while.
2: I think yeah, I, all that stuff. Was I was there. summer house manager, um, work manager. I mean, we had
0: all kinds of different titles. Was there a maintenance manager?
1: When I moved in, I recall there was two primary managers, mm-hmm. like the house manager. They were responsible for making sure people
2: recruitment
1: re- recruitment and for making sure people did their jobs. You know, like yeah. we had all the jobs, and he, you know, he would go and check. Um, there was another manager that was, I think, a maintenance manager who basically did repairs and made sure that everything was working properly. Then we had a financial manager, which you held that position mm-hmm. for a while. And that was a person who collected all the rent and paid all the bills. And
0: Was there something like you could get credit for doing chores and then you could be fined for missing a chore?
1: No, I don't think so. I don't think
0: there was a, a monetary fine.
1: You got warnings and if you didn't do your job or didn't do it properly or
0: didn't
2: pay rent,
1: we evicted people.
0: How did the eviction process go then? Because that's pretty amazing that it would go pretty much to all right, three strikes, you're out or whatever it was.
1: Pretty pretty much, yeah. Oh. So you know the 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 bottom job is usually either cleaning the bathrooms or washing the dishes. Yeah, I mean, that, that was my entry job. job. Yeah, right. Yeah. It is for most people. Yeah. So we had a fellow who um who who was there. He paid his rent and he went to school, but he could not do a job. He couldn't remember. We would tell him, okay, it's time for you to do the dishes, which I think was his job. And then he would forget. And so we'd go and we'd get him and we'd say, OK, here are the dishes. And we would remind him how to do dishes.
2: Um, and, and they still were filthy when he, he was couldn't done. And do
1: it. And, you know, we, we gave him multiple chances. I don't mm-hmm. know if it was three or five or what, but eventually the board got together and they just took a vote. And they said he can't be here because he can't do a basic job. Wow. And yeah. We evicted people if they didn't pay rent. I think we gave them a grace period of one or two months. We also evicted people if they weren't students. You could have one quarter off, but not including summer. So let's say you took spring quarter yeah. off and then yeah. you weren't in school in summer, that's fine. But by fall, you had to be. And if you weren't, yeah. we evicted them. And we evicted one person um, for sexual harassment. It was a woman who harassed a man. When we lived there, men and women went to the whatever bathroom was open. Someone's taken a shower, no big deal. You go in there, brush your teeth, whatever. And she basically opened up the shower curtain and looked at this guy. And so we evicted her.
2: And, and he was gorgeous, so... He was gorgeous. <laughs> That's just not the point.
1: <laughs> you can't do that. You can't do that. I mean, that was such a betrayal. It was it was horrible. And so, yeah, we mm-hmm. we had strong... The board was strong, is what I'm trying to say.
0: Yeah. I wow, think the board was strong. That is really a significant difference with the 90s and the 2000s. So it sounds like there was a a president, it, it was the president's job or the house manager's job to to deliver the news or was the person at the meeting when it was like, all right, you're well, voted they'd be
1: at the meeting. They would be called well, in front of the board.
2: Like the financial manager, I would write them all down in the ledger and if somebody didn't pay rent, I'd go to the board and say, this person didn't pay rent. They'd get called for the next board meeting and say, why is your rent late? And they'd say, oh, well, I haven't got my financial aid yet. We'd say, okay, great. W- you know When are you gonna get it? Um, then when they got it, they would pay us. It wasn't automatic that you were kicked out or anything. It was
0: just, we wanted to know where they were at, you know.
1: You know, there was a hearing.
2: They had to come before
0: the board. The person had an
1: opportunity to explain themselves.
0: Is everyone a board member or was it just the the house managers?
1: The managers weren't necessarily board members. There was a a separate board that had the treasurer and secretary and president and vice president. It might have been one or two other. I think
2: they're outlined in the
1: I think there was maybe seven, maybe yeah. seven members of the, that were the board. And then there was the managers, which were oftentimes different people.
0: It's really yeah. interesting. Yeah. Very interesting. Let's say an eviction took place. All right. I'm afraid you're going to have to leave. Pack your bags. Yeah.
1: Well, so yeah. I'll go back to the to the dishes guy. So we, we brought him in front of the board and we said, look, we don't want to evict you, but you can't do a job. And he basically said, you're right, I can't do a job. And so then we said, you know, well, you're going to have to leave. And I don't think we like kicked him out that night. I think he had like a couple of weeks or something. But then the one that I talked about earlier with the sexual harassment, I mean, we basically made her leave that day. Like we had a special board meeting held mm-hmm. just to basically tell her you're gone.
0: How often were the board meetings? Were they once every Sunday?
1: Were they once every Sunday when you were there? That sounds right.
0: Yeah, we had everyone should come to the meetings every other Sunday. And then the other every other Sunday was um, for the managers.
1: So I believe it was the same, except again, it wasn't managers. It was board members. But managers usually came if they weren't board members because they wanted to understand what was happening with the board. But also all the meetings were held in the living room. All the meetings were open. I don't know if that was the same with you, but if it was a a Sunday that it was supposedly the board members meeting, anybody else could be
0: there. So that is interesting. That really helps explain a part of the, um, the bylaws. I mean, not our generation, but at some point, a cohort said everyone who moves in is a board member. And if you move out you're no longer a board member
1: we were elected yeah
0: elected okay so you would run for the board and there would be like a big election and we'd say okay you and you and you
1: yep sorry but i don't remember if we ran for the specific position or once we were on the board maybe the board elected like who's president who's vice president and all that but i know we had to run and be voted onto the board
2: this is a good time to tell you i didn't vote for you (laughs)
1: I think that separation was important to us of the managers, again, maybe post uh, the John and Pete era, because John and Pete were managers when I moved in and we didn't want managers to automatically also have power of board. So there was a, there was a real separation. Pete was the
2: president and John was the house manager.
1: I thought Pete was a maintenance manager. And when we, when I moved in, they were both, they were both getting paid for their work. Which that changed too. Um, wow. They were getting free room and board, and I think they were getting a small stipend
0: when we moved in. When I moved Holy in. Holy buckets! Time. Well, that sounds like something we need to crack open if we can find someone living there in the 70s. But there is something that you were there for. I remember you wanting to tell us about when the house was stolen.
1: In my first year at the co-op, there was an incident where. The, the co-op was basically, I don't know if it's even stolen, but it was, there was a scam. And the scam was that uh, these two people, Pete and John, who everybody really respected and cared about, you could check on this, but I don't believe they were, I can't remember if they were on the board or not, but they were managers. But they, um, we had some concerns about some other organizations that were trying to possibly try to, to purchase the co-op.
2: Through a, through some loophole.
1: And so they convinced, they took board members one at a time and talked to them and convinced them to basically sell the house to them for a dollar. The guarantee from their side was that they'd make sure that it remained as was, and, and it would continue to be as it was, and they would continue to be there and be caretakers. And And this was not made known to all the co-opers. This was just strictly members of the board who were talked to one at a time. And the vote was held and I believe actually a couple board members were even out of the country at the time, but there was enough that they could have a quorum, not in the presence of the other co-op members. It was it was a private board meeting, a closed board meeting, which was really not what we did. (laughs) We all our board meetings were supposed to be open.
0: Is it true that um, they, it, they that the rumor they were floating was that the Mormons wanted to get the property? I,
1: thought, I think it was the Maranatha. I thought it was the Maranatha, but I mean it was a it was some sort of Christian organization.
2: And whether they were or not, who and knows? There was
1: concern that this Christian organization would take over the co-op, and then it would be a Christian
0: co-op co-op
1: rather than you know a students co-op.
0: I'm assuming they and started the rumors in the first place.
1: I don't know how the rumors got started, but I know that there were rumors at the time that. They of a Christian takeover, which I mean now sounds interesting, but at the time, you know, it sounded like this serious thing. They didn't tell everybody at first, but it started to um, leak out like in little ways. And we started to hear things. And I remember particularly one of the co-opers at the time who realized almost immediately what was going on was just furious and, you know, yelling and, you know, I would have bought the house for a dollar, you know, stuff. and I think that's when the board members who had voted for it started to realize that maybe they'd made a mistake. I don't know all the logistics of the legal aspects and all that, I wasn't on the board at the time, but obviously it didn't happen. The, the members eventually were, were they left. I know that there was violence towards them, which was uncommon in the co-op, um, you know, slip tires and physical threats and that kind of thing which really wasn't how we operated one another.
2: Broken gophers. Yeah,
1: broken statues and such. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I'm sorry. That's not a very complete version of it, but that's, there's other people, in fact, people who are on the board who can probably talk to you about what happened.
0: Wow. All right. This was summer 1980?
1: I, yeah, I think it was.
0: When you were in Israel? Yeah,
1: It was before I went to Israel. So it was probably like May or June.
0: Wow. And then you moved out
1: yeah not because of that, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> I <didn't move> out.
0: <laughs> Why'd you move out?
1: Oh, I didn't know what I wanted. I moved like i said i I did a, a, a archaeological dig in Israel, which was wonderful, but I came back even more confused about what I wanted. and my roommate had graduated. She was a couple years older than me and graduated in nursing and she was heading to New Mexico uh, to start a career there. So I went down there with her for a, a semester. i did a a little bit of school there at University of New Mexico. And then, um, I think I mentioned my parents were going through divorce. I came back to be with my mom for a while. And in the meantime, Ted kept calling me. So then I ended up moving in with him.
2: Would you, <laughs> would you say I stalked you?
1: I don't know. <laughs> I'm not
2: going to say that. <laughs> I wouldn't have that term back then. I think I was stalking you. You were persistent. <laughs> I was persistent. <laughs> it pays off.
0: So the house was sold to them for a dollar and then after various coercions and threats they agreed to do the paperwork to get it all reversed i think those were the legal i think
1: there was i think there was lawyers involved the agreement was nullified and i don't know if that was voluntary or not on their part
2: i think they agreed to sell the house back in the end is what i heard
0: wow okay so then was the house then back in the hands of Students Cooperative Incorporated? Is that how you knew the house? Yeah. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. Was it ever called Amiga Club or Amigo? Amigo, or? Amigo Club.
2: Yeah. What was
1: that?
2: That was written on the wall of the TV room, the opposite, opposite the windows. It said the Amigo Club. It's probably still under the paint if they painted over it. Did you know. No, it was okay. Called? The story behind it was a bunch of people came back from World War II and went to college and they called it the Amigo Club, but I don't know if that's true. I I remember seeing it and it looked kind of military. There was some sort of insignia on the wall that said the Amigo Club around it, but that's what I heard at the time, but I really couldn't tell you if that was true.
0: Thank you, because that kind of confirms a timeline that I'm reassembling from when R.T. Ravenholt moved in 1944 and it was called the Mm -hmm. Amigo club then in newspapers. Uh, And it was a lot of army veterans and they would sit around and play poker and poker became probably a a thing for the military veterans. And it, and it sounds like it lasted a few decades. If it was still going on, the fact that that was like a, a consistent culture is interesting.
1: I don't play poker, but it was a big thing. Was the, was the poker going on when you were there?
2: I think people floated the idea. It financed a lot of my education. <laughs> nice work, <laughs> man. <laughs> no, you're doing great. Keep betting. But <laughs> so we had people that were so bad that they would bring their twenty dollars and they just expected to lose it. They they wanted the good time.
0: So that sounds like me. I just wanted to participate.
2: Yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> I <would> lose. <laughs>
2: So, Chuck was the sweetest guy I ever met, but uh, could not no play poker. poker. Face. No poker face. <laughs>
0: um, what is social life within the co-op in uh, in your group?
1: Mash. <laughs> <laughs> so we watched TV, right? We didn't have an internet. There was one guy; his name was Tom, who had a computer. Yeah, and that was pretty cool. <laughs>
0: La la. A word (laughs) processor. Yeah, Yeah.
1: exactly. And we all thought he was incredibly techie. We admired him greatly for that. So we watched a lot of TV. MASH was the big thing. We were there during the MASH finale and that was a huge event.
0: Um, (laughs) How many people were in in that uh, TV room, you think? Ten? Oh, everybody. Everybody
1: plus friends. It was it was packed. Typically, you know, in the evening, after everybody had finished studying, people would go to somebody's room and we'd all hang out and listen to Pink Floyd. And I mean, that, yes. That, yes. <laughs>
0: that,
1: I mean, that, when I said earlier that I felt like it was home, that felt like home. Just, you know, a bunch of people just hanging out, no stress. Let's see, I think we all went to a Devo concert once we all went to
2: see um we used to we used to get together and go to bridge best steakhouse quite a bit because you could get like a steak and a potato and a drink for like a dollar 89 or something what does that still exist where is that Uh, i don't think it's there anymore it's not there anymore kitty Kitty corner from drunk donald's
0: which is also isn't there there anymore (laughs) 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 uh, (laughs) kitty corner from (laughs) another non-existent place (laughs) (laughs) um like clockwork orange at the
2: varsity theater and Al's breakfast was the best place to go.
0: Yeah. Al's breakfast. Al's Al's is still there. That's good to know. Yeah. Yeah.
1: We know we were there not too long ago. (laughs) (laughs) Although the cook left, he was there for 50 years. We saw him not too long before he retired, but I'm trying to remember We went to a, we went to a bunch of great concerts right there in Minnesota. And I can't remember who all we saw.
2: Yeah. There's a lot of concerts on campus and, um,
1: who, who
0: sang Aqualung? <laughs> Jethro Tall.
1: Jethro Tull, that was <laughs> one <wonderful>. the <laughs>
0: Great. Okay. I'm and when you and when you folks went outside the co-op, did you go to Dinky Town, Riverside? What were your hangout spots?
1: Well, obviously Dinky Town was close, so we yeah. would go there for you know something to eat or drink, but. The Riverside, the West Bank was obviously a a huge draw because there were so many more interesting places and things to do. I mean, the Riverside Cafe and Mm -hmm. Seward Cafe. And I mean, there was just, there was a theater in the round over there. I remember
2: going to. We used to like to hang out on the railroad track bridge. I guess it's just a footbridge now.
0: Oh, I see it. The Northern Pacific Bridge number nine. Yeah. Actually... I used to hang out with a few co-opers there.
1: Go there sometimes and watch the dawn if you've been up all night. Yeah,
2: yeah. We, we used to actually take a lot of trips together too. We took a bunch of us and we went up to the Boundary Waters and uh, camped yeah. in the Boundary Waters sometimes. Yeah, we did that. We wow. went out to South Dakota. Yeah. We would go to Taylor's Falls and jump off the cliffs. We would get large groups and just go places together, especially in the summers.
0: Would the financial manager budget anything out for a retreat or was this all just uh, individually organized?
2: It it was individual
0: house paid for nothing ever. How (laughs) was, how was your, uh, do you know what the savings were like back then and what the financial situation of the co-op was back then? Well, the,
2: the rooms were $120 a piece. And I think if you wanted to get the food plan, it was another $70. That sounds right. But you didn't have to have the food 190 plan.
1: 190 a month to be there with food.
2: Right. Yeah. You didn't have to be on the food plan. The food I don't plan included... think we had a
1: lot of savings.
2: When we Carolinda moved in, they still had a cook.
1: Oh, yeah. Her yeah. name was Lucy. What?
2: Yeah, Lucy. She...
0: Yes. What? She came in. <laughs> yes.
1: came in on Monday through Friday, and she made us lunch and dinner. And then at some point we really wanted vegetarian meals. And Lucy was strictly meat and potatoes. Wow. And um, mm-hmm. at some point it was mutually agreed upon that we would take over the cooking ourselves. And fortunately we had some people who knew how to cook. So that was good. Mm-hmm. And then the meals really changed and we would have, still have meat, but um, we always have a vegetarian option. But yeah, she when the first year I was there, Lucy made us lunch and dinner.
0: Oh my gosh, that's amazing. She was a kind of a house mother, but she didn't live there. No, No,
1: she didn't. She was an older woman, and she didn't seem like she particularly wanted to be there anymore. I think things had changed from when maybe she had started. She was paid by the co-op. Yes. Mm -hmm. I left in the summer of 1980 and didn't come back until the fall of 82. And I don't think she was there after the...
0: She didn't come back after the summer. Mm -hmm. Wow. That's so cool. Okay. So the summer of 1980, Lucy, the cook is finally let go. That's good. We had specific fines and credits for maintenance hours. And Mm -hmm. it sounds like you, you more just had work weekend, you have to do it and you did it or you didn't do it.
1: Well, and then you had to do your job every week. Yeah. But I mean, obviously people did a lot more than their jobs.
0: Were the jobs, dishes, halls and stairs, recycling.
1: There's bathrooms, cooking. Or you could have, you could be the house manager, you could be the financial manager.
2: Just free rent. It wasn't, uh, they didn't pass anything to do. Like if you were a financial manager, you just didn't pay rent. Right. There was only two positions. The house manager and the uh, financial manager just didn't pay the $120. I think they still had to pay for food if they wanted to be on the food plan.
0: Wow so there was a food plan i'm told that in the 90s they created something called a food manager whose job was to go get the food from the co-ops we always had a truck deliver it and we
1: always ordered it and that was part of the house manager's duties and how's the house. so there was basically i, don't, I might be in the words wrong but there was somebody who did the money and somebody who did the house and so it was it financial and, and house, house manager. manager. yeah, And I mean, they had a lot of responsibilities. So the house manager had to decide what food needed to be ordered. I think he or she ordered it, but then the financial manager paid for it and somebody had to make sure they were there to you know get the deliveries and all that stuff.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it sounds like you had a policy of meat is okay. Animal products are okay. But I mean, after the vegetarian push in 1980, was there any was there like okay? We're no longer putting meat on the meal plan. No.
1: No. No. It. It. No. There was not. I don't even. Nobody talked about gluten. <laughs> there might have been some people talked about you know being vegan and wanting less dairy, but no, there wasn't. I mean, you know, a bunch of Midwesterners, right, who grew up on the meat and potatoes, and you just want to get off that. You just you know. Yeah. You know, even if it's just going to eggs and cheese.
2: But it, but some people were very wedded to the idea of meat and potatoes. Yes. So.
0: Yeah. And if it was like all you can eat, you know, you're paying $70. So you should be able to eat all you all you want. Right.
1: Yeah. So so,
0: buffet, really.
1: Right. So breakfast, again, just like when Lucy was there, was on our own. We always had cereal and milk and you could somebody would take orange juice out the night before and saw the orange juice and we'd have orange juice. We had the
0: cow. The cow cow with the milk. The milk dispenser, which was they got rid of in the 90s.
1: Lunch was usually... I don't, a lot of times I wouldn't even come home for lunch, but it like was—it was usually yeah, I don't like sandwiches. Probably why. it'd be like sandwiches or some. A lot of times people would eat leftovers from the night before, but there was somebody who was responsible for making sure lunch was put out, and then dinner was the big meal. It was basically whatever the cooks wanted to do. So usually two mm-hmm. people cooked together, mm-hmm. and it was whatever they wanted to to do.
2: And pot of chili. Or yeah, I whatever. mean it,
1: it always had you know basic food groups that we. Although I do remember one time when somebody put out for dinner raw chocolate chip cookie dough. (laughs) And we're just like
0: inevitably
1: (laughs) We're gonna let it slide this time (laughs) because it's delicious.
0: (laughs) Okay, so after Lucy the Cook Esquire left, there were a couple people who would put supper together every night.
1: What, one person would do lunch and two people would do something. Yeah, but it would rotate. It wasn't like somebody
2: cooked oh, all yeah. Ready. For
1: example, I might cook on Thursdays, every Thursday with another person. You never that cooked. was my job. You did dishes. Well, I prepped for the other person. <laughs> <laughs> I, could, I could chop vegetables yes. and such. But, yeah. yeah, so so that was a job. A, a job would be, you know, yeah. you and this other person make dinner on Thursday nights. Or you make lunch on Wednesday afternoons. Wow. And honestly, not a lot of people opted out of the food plan. No. I mean, 70 bucks for basically three meals a day. I mean.
0: Well, some people would work in the local restaurants and stuff, and they just didn't need it. You're saying that maybe some of them just worked in the food industry, and so they had something.
2: we had this one guy who brought yeah. when he moved in, he brought like a gunny sack full of rice and that's all he would eat. Yeah, the rice eater. Wow. And he just ate right. It was, you know, thin as a rail. And just and made rice. Just made rice. And, and think, he didn't want to be in the food plan. So he said, OK,
1: if you didn't have the food plan, couldn't you still have breakfast? I feel like you could, but I don't I don't know that for sure. But I feel like yeah. because breakfast was just go down there and scrounge for something.
0: Um, I guess in the 90s is when all those crates came in to the big fridges. So you didn't have individual crates storing individual residents' foods? No. no.
1: No. Like, let's say you went to a restaurant and you didn't finish everything. You'd bring it home and you'd put it in the refrigerator and you'd label it with your name, but there was no guarantee you'd be there.
2: And some people had refrigerators in their rooms,
1: so... It was kind of like if it was in the main refrigerator, you'd label it and hopefully people wouldn't need it, but they might. But no, there was never, people didn't go out and buy their own food.
0: Wow. Well,
1: it sounds like that's what you did in the 90s. Like people had crates and bought their own food.
0: Yeah. And then the refrigerators, well, we had the house fridge, which is up for grabs on the meal plan. And then there was, everyone had their own private space that was protected. And there was, it was considered stealing if you went into someone's crate. And obviously, booze would disappear from people's crates, and it was hard to find out who <laughs> took that. Um, the meal plan was a little more expensive in your day, which is funny, because normally things are inflated all the time. But when I moved in, it was, I think, $50 discounted. It was like $60, but we'd all agreed to make it only $50. I don't know if that was to incentivize the, the co-op partner's warehouse food or what.
1: That's great. So what did you get for that 50 $50.
0: We would have tons of rice, beans, pasta, gluten-free pasta, bread, which would disappear quickly, a certain amount of dairy, like butter, milk, but no, no meat is, was allowed on the plan. I think occasionally a dessert might show up. That would also go very fast, you know. Fruit, tons yeah. of bananas, tons of oranges, tons of potatoes, tons of tomatoes, kale, uh, celery, carrots, And when we, you know, run out of things to do with those fresh, they would just be baked in something or cooked in something. Rutabagas, beets, onions. you were eating
1: older than we were.
0: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So it sounds like we, we oriented more around real foods.
1: Yes. I remember, and I don't care for it, but I remember that whenever the order came in, it always came in with a big box of Captain Crunch. And people would just like run down to the kitchen because the order had come in and they want and I don't like it because it cuts my mouth. I don't. Oh, yeah. I don't no, like that Captain thing fight. will
0: shred your mouth.
2: Yeah.
1: <laughs> but it would always be a big thing that the order had come in because people would want to go down and get their Captain Crunch and then be gone right away.
0: It sounds like because you had the cow that there was still a lot of dairy coming in.
2: Yes.
1: Yeah.
0: So, yes. So it was like all oh, you can drink milk as well.
2: You used to have to, there was a sign-up sheet on the cow and you'd have to say how many, if you had a glass of
0: milk. I don't
1: remember why, but I do. We yeah. put tally marks, but I don't yeah, remember why. Yeah,
0: tally marks for how many glasses of milk you drank. That makes why? sense. I mean, we tried to trace a lot of things like that in the house too. Sometimes it was impossible, but other times it was, let's figure out who is doing what. Let's focus on making this very equal. And, you know, you say some people had fridges in our time. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you had a fridge or an air conditioner... Uh, you would pay extra in your room for the electricity? For the electricity, the electricity
1: yeah. yeah. Well, we didn't have air conditioners. How did you deal
0: with the extra. summer? Just fans? hmm Yeah. Wow. <laughs> it was hot. <laughs> yeah. A
2: lot of uncomfortable nights.
1: Yeah.
2: Well, I was sort of surprised, I guess, thinking back on it was how many people we knew who became couples and got married, like us. -hmm. And we have other there were other people at the same time we were there that got married that are, you know, together today and some some aren't. But I mean, a lot of people formed more than just a a community bond. They formed personal bonds and they expanded into families. So I mean it just it it's just so much that came out of our experience as co-opers. And and I think it's the first place I learned to be responsible financially, for example. I realized you know, as a financial manager, what I needed to do in my life to be more financially responsible. So, I mean, you were learning things and you didn't even realize it at the time. That's kind of what we were doing at the time. And like I said, we didn't have the term pay it forward then, but that's what we were doing. We were keeping that house up for the next people that we had never met and probably never would meet. And then they were gonna pass it on to the next people. So, I mean, the lessons learned back then were, I mean, I'm still using them today.
1: The travel that we did, particularly to the Boundary Waters, was, again, hanging out around a a campfire, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And just being young and being free and just enjoying ourselves. Those are some of the best memories I have. And then, like Mm -hmm. Ted, I probably have, I would say, you know, 80% of my closest friends are from that time period. You know, the people that I care most about.
0: Wow. You want to tell us about, you know, your dating and how you got together and everything? Like,
1: so we met at a party, but we're not sure exactly which one well,
2: whether it was Halloween or New Year's. He
1: remembers meeting me at Halloween, but he didn't make an impression. So I don't remember meeting him till New Year's Eve. <laughs> I don't know. I was dating somebody, and uh, oh,
2: yeah.
1: yeah, and we became hmm. friends. I really liked Bob Seeger. And <laughs> Ted got, tickets to go see Bob Seger and didn't have the courage to ask me. Oh, but one of his housemates asked a friend of mine. And I happen to know that the housemate was a little creepy.
2: My Ruby yeah. Did I not
1: understand consent. No.
0: Oh, <laughs> I see.
1: And so I said to Ted, "Okay, you're going on this Bob Seger concert, which, you know, by the way, I would like to have gone to. (laughs) But anyway, um, you're going. And so is my friend. And she's going with your housemate, who's a creep. And um, (laughs) can you keep an eye on on her? And he did. And he made sure she was okay. And I drove her home. Yeah. And I was just like, Okay, this guy needs a push. So I invited him to a drive in movie. I think I told him other people were coming, but no one else came. <laughs> so that's how it started. And then yeah.
0: That is so sweet. He's a keeper have, then. That, yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, we've been together 40 years, almost 41, yeah. Mm-hmm. We have three we have three sons, one of which was a, a co-op or two, and another co-op. Actually, all of them are co-opers because when I put my kids in preschool, yeah. I insisted that we enroll them in, in the preschool co-op. Here's the cow. We had a co-op here. Yeah, it was important. It was an important time of life.
2: And we uh, we got married in the Cedar Square West party room on the first floor of Cedar Square West.
1: Yeah, we lived there when we got married. um, Cedar Square West is another dorm. No, No. uh, sometimes referred to as the Crackstacks.
0: Oh, the Crackstacks. Yeah. 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 Oh, that's. Right there.
1: okay <laughs> they weren't called that back then
0: yeah. <laughs> thank you for listening i hope you enjoyed that if you're curious about photos and show notes please visit podcast.studentscoop.org next time we'll hear from our guests about protests pets plants and brawling with the fraternities and try to answer the question is the co-op good for our mental health